God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is our last week of our Summer Vibes Sermon Series, and we are ending with a bang, y'all. Musicals! Yeah? Okay, some enthusiasm. I love it. Uh, I am a big fan of musicals. Broadway, movie versions, soundtracks, give them to me in any form, any time of the day. I've spent a pretty penny on Dallas Summer Musical tickets and AT&T Performing Arts Center Broadway series. My spouse, Jake, and I actually spent 14 hours in a cancellation ticket line on a street corner in New York City to score tickets to Hamilton with the original Broadway cast. We were successful. It was amazing. Duh. For me, musicals have this way of not only entertaining my mind, like a television show or a movie or a book, but it also gives this inner soul to the characters as they express themselves through the beauty of song. There's something about a cast singing 525,600 minutes versus actually just saying 525,600 minutes. You see what I mean? And if you are out there and you're rolling your eyes at me, that's okay too. I get it. Musicals are not for everyone. But I do believe just like we've been able to draw connections during this sermon series between God and books and God and movies and God and travel, we too can find some lovely connections between God and musicals. We're going to hold off on the scripture reading, and we're going to actually start with the musical today. Our Summer Vibes musical is, dun da da dun In the Heights. If you stay current on pop culture, you may know that they just recently released In the Heights as a movie on HBO Max, where most of our photos today will be from, because they're beautiful. The movie is a little different than the actual Broadway musical. Who could have guessed it? So I will actually be referencing a lot from the musical version, but no sweat, whatever version you're familiar with, it's okay today. And if you've never even heard of this musical in your life, also not a big deal. I'm going to catch everyone up with a brief summary. Lynn manuel Miranda is the mind behind musicals like Hamilton. And for our younger friends out there, he wrote all of the music in Disney's hit Moana. He is who wrote this musical, In the Heights. He wrote it as a sophomore in college, which is way more than I did as a sophomore in college. Manuel Miranda wanted to create a musical that was made up of a Latino cast and that portrayed them as more than they had been portrayed in the past, more than members of a gang like the Puerto Ricans in West Side Story. Miranda dreamed up a world where the audience could see everyday struggles of the Latino and black community of Washington Heights in New York. He also wanted to give space for Latino Broadway performers to have roles designed specifically for them. In In the Heights, 
we follow the main character, a man by the name of Yusnavi. And Yusnavi owns a corner bodega or a corner, corner store, whatever you want to call it, in Washington Heights. Yusnavi is originally from the Dominican Republic, and he has very high hopes of one day returning there again. Along with his cousin, Sonny, and an elderly grandmother figure, Abuela Claudia, they create this community that uplifts one another while still holding dreams of a better life. Like any good musical, there are a ton of storylines. Chris is preaching on Les Mis. There are not as many storylines as Les Mis, promise. Uh, but I do want to point out a few of our storylines. There's the Rosarios, who are a husband and wife who own a taxi cab service. And they're struggling to support their daughter, Nina, who is away at school in, at Stanford. There's also a character named Vanessa, who is Yusnavi's love interest, and she is focused on moving out of Washington Heights. She wants to be in the West Village where she can be a fashion designer. And then there's a character named Benny, who is motivated to move up in his job at uh, Rosario's taxi cab, but he's overlooked because he's black. And things get even dicier when he falls in love with the Rosario's daughter, Nina. You know, it's a whole thing like it always is. I'm telling you, there is a lot of storyline in this musical. But the bottom line is that we get this insight into a very tight-knit community that has very big dreams. In the first act, Yusnavi learns that a winning lottery ticket has been sold at his bodega. That means someone in their tight-knit community has won $96,000, which is a lot of money and was even more money when this was written in 1999. As the cast sings an aptly named song, 96,000, Characters throughout the song list off what they would spend their winnings on if they were to win the lottery. Yusnavi says that he would split the money with his cousin Sonny and Abuela Claudia, and he would work on getting the bodega out of debt. He also would hop a plane to the Dominican, but first he wants to do that stuff. Benny would go to business school. Vanessa would move finally to the West Village. Sonny would use the money to create a lasting infrastructure for the kids in Washington Heights to have access to a solid education. All of these are worthy endeavors, and they're seemingly fair dreams if one of these characters were to win the $96,000. If we were given a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, like winning the lottery, how would our lives change? How would our focuses shift? How would that opportunity affect the communities that we are a part of? Our scripture reading this morning is about a character who is given such an opportunity. No, she didn't win $96,000 in the lottery, but she is given an opportunity to live a life much different than anything she could have imagined. Esther is one of only two books in the entire Bible named after a woman. 
Last week, we talked about the Israelites in 2nd Isaiah living in post-exile, living in exile after they are conquered by the Babylonians. And here, Esther and her community, they're living in that post-exile world we talked about. They do not live in their homeland. They are under the Persian Empire's rule. The king of this land is a man named King Xerxes. And King Xerxes, like any good storyline for a musical, here we have in the Bible, King Xerxes has a disagreement with his wife, Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti refuses to do what the king orders of her. So the king strips away her crown and sends her off. In need of a new king, King Xerxes orders all of the young women in his realm to come before him so he can find a replacement. It seems a little Cinderella-y without much of the dancing or the fairy tale vibes. Esther is one of the women who appears before the king. And Esther finds favor with King Xerxes. Now, Esther is Jewish, and Esther is an orphan. Her uncle Mordecai has raised her up until this point, and he's the one who advises her as she continues along this process. Our first scripture reading today will be from Esther 2, verses 17 through 20. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She had won his love and his favor more than all the others. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her ruler in place of Vashti. The king held a magnificent, lavish feast, the Feast of Esther, for all his officials and courtiers. He declared a public holiday for the provinces and gave out gifts with royal generosity. When they gathered the young women to the second women's house, Mordecai was working for the king at the king's gate. Esther still wasn't telling anyone her family background and race, just as Mordecai had ordered her. She continued to do what Mordecai said, just as she did when she was under his care. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Esther is an orphan. Esther is Jewish and living within this exiled community. I don't know that she ever envisioned queen as a title that she would hold. It's not a $96,000 winning lottery ticket, but it is a new lease on life. Esther's status is elevated. She has the ear of the king. She has the favor of the king. This will come in handy as tensions rise between those in power and the Jewish people. But let's shift back to In the Heights for a moment. I'm going to be a little vague because I want everyone to go home and watch this, and I don't want to spoil anything. It is finally revealed who wins the lottery ticket, and the money is actually divvied out between a few different people, and they have some really big dreams in mind for the money. However, in the second act, all of these dreams are put on hold 
when the community suffers a big loss, the death of a key person in their community, an unexpected death. And all of a sudden, those winnings, the money, doesn't seem like the most important thing. The cast joins together to sing a song called Alabanza. In Spanish, according to the musical, Alabanza means to raise this thing to God's face and to sing quite literally praise to this. Finding space to give thanks for all things and to see their purpose and their meaning, especially amongst the mundane or the everyday kind of things. The song actually names a few things that they give thanks for that they say alabanza to. Glass Coke bottles, breadcrumbs, a sky full of stars, things that are boring or so common, yet they have deep meaning to some people and can be things we give thanks to God for. This is one of my favorite lessons throughout this musical. Even with winning the lottery and receiving a life-changing amount of money, there's this simple song, Alabanza, that reminds us to give thanks for the little things in our lives, to find space and words for God in spaces where God is often overlooked. The book of Esther is unique. I mentioned that it's only two books that are named after women and focused on women as the main non-God characters. But the book of Esther is even more unique than that. There are 10 chapters in Esther, and within those 10 chapters, one thing is never mentioned. Anybody know? Say it out loud. God. The name of God is never said in any form in the book of Esther. Yet, we see God show up in big ways, even when God isn't explicitly mentioned. You see, the Jewish people, they had a lot of enemies as they were living in exile. They were looked down upon. Someone close to King Xerxes, a man named Haman, really, really disliked the Jewish people. He especially didn't like Esther's uncle, Uncle Mordecai. Haman comes up with a few different plots throughout Esther to kill the Jewish people. And he tries to manipulate the king into doing so, so that it becomes law. He's actually successful, too. And Uncle Mordecai hears whispers of this plan. This entire time, he has told Esther to hide her identity, to keep her safe, because he knows the judgment and the hatred she may face if her identity is known. But now... With the Jewish people's lives on the line, Uncle Mordecai advises Esther differently. Esther 4, 13, and 14. Mordecai had them respond to Esther, Don't think for one minute that unlike the other Jews, you'll come out of this alive 
simply because you were in the palace. In fact, if you don't speak up at this very important time, relief and rescue will appear for the Jews from another place, but you and your family will die. But who knows? Maybe it was for such a moment like this that you came to be part of the royal family. A moment like this. Amen. Esther is given an extraordinary opportunity. Not only has her status changed socially, but now she is in a place of power where she can speak up for her people, where she can speak up for the lives of her community. However, speaking up to a king is a very risky task. She knows Queen Vashti was just sent away for not obeying the king. When Mordecai, what Mordecai asks of Esther is scary. But Esther does it. Esther is strategic in how she approaches the king. She's careful with the words she uses. And Esther gets what she asks. Esther decides to have a hard conversation. She speaks out against the command that the Jewish people should be killed. She's brave. She remembers her community. She remembers where they've come from. And even though we don't read the words, we can rest assured that Esther trusts in God. And her community is made stronger because of it. And in the Heights, when Yusnavi's community cares for one another, when they don't allow money or power or differences in social status or race divide them, they're able to come together and celebrate and do big things as a community. When they focus on alabanza, taking notice of God in their everyday lives, seeing the beauty around them, even when facing those hardships, they're able to come away stronger. The book of Esther may not mention God's name anywhere in its pages, but God's presence is undeniable. God moves throughout the situations, throughout the lives of the people. And in the heights, we are reminded of the importance of the simple things, that God is present even in moments where we've forgotten where God resides. As Christians, we have hope that our God is bigger than we are, that God works in ways we don't always see, that God moves in commonplace ways. Our faith in Christ is anchored in the promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit that moves in the world around us. May we hear the whispers of God's name, and may we each find ways to exclaim, Alabanza, 